You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Divine Disruptions. We are talking about being interrupted because it is such a busy season. Again, if you have any questions about what we talk about today, feel free to text me so we can make this as much of a dialogue as possible rather than too much of a monologue. I'll pull that out. It's just regular old texting. You just text that number. It should get to me. If we have questions, we'll try to get to them at the end. But the reason for this series is that it's a busy season. And there's lots of disruptions, and there's lots of interruptions, and so we're looking at how Jesus handles interruptions, so maybe we can get a better handle on, the hand, uh, on how to uh, approach interruptions as well. I went to the store this morning to get those flowers. I saw four people that I knew. I needed to get here. Was, didn't want to be late. And yet, you know, people want to talk, and they want to catch up, and it was being interrupted, and I was like, I'm preaching about this. I better do this well. So that I have something. It's just happening. Everywhere you go, it's that season. People want to come into town. I saw someone at the store who was deathly ill, trying to heal herself before her family came into town. We are being interrupted and disrupted constantly. Let's read a story today from Jesus about Jesus, about his interruptions. 767, if you have scriptures in front of you, out of Mark, constant interruptions. And then I'm going to set the stage for us. Mark 6. I'm not even going to read a full story. We're reading about in-between stories today. The Christians called this liminal space, the in-between space. That this is where God shows up so prevalent so many times. Here's what happened before this. Jesus sent out his apostles and his disciples to go do ministry on their own. He sends them out in pairs. He gives them some commands about what to take with them. He gives them the ability to heal and to cast out demons, but primarily they're going to preach the word about the good news of the kingdom coming near. And so all his apostles are gone. And then his cousin John is killed. And so Jesus is alone, and he's in the middle of grief, and there's just a lot happening in the midst of that. And today's story, which is really not even a full story, it's the in-between story stuff, uh, is Jesus navigating grief, apostles returning with such joyous news, and Jesus has just a small bit of teaching for them before he gets ready to feed 5,000 people. Uh, the word of the Lord today out of Mark 6, 30. I'm on the wrong page already. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. It was miraculous. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. This word time here is eukairos. It means good time. It means leisure. It means Lord's time. So there was no good time. There was no leisure time even for them to eat. That's how busy they were. He said to his apostles, come by yourselves to a scheduled place, secluded. Two of you laughed, so I know you two are holy and reading along with me. (laughs) Jesus said, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. 
Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, and so they ran ahead of their boat from all the cities, and they arrived on the other side of the lake before them. And when Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. Jesus, in grief, trying to get away with his apostles and disciples, so that he can rest. The crowds beat him there, interrupt him, and he and he has compassion and teaches them anyways. As always here at the table, we do head, heart, hands for three points out of the text because we're asking the same questions. What does God want us to know? What does God want us to feel or experience so that information becomes transformation? And what does God want us to do with this so that information becomes transformation, so that it becomes action, so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and back out into the world? And so I always ask these questions. What does God want us to know? And for me today, it was about annoyance versus inadequacy. Jesus wants us to know that interruptions are less from annoyance and more about people's inadequacy, more about their need, more about their desires and their brokennesses. This is where I'm reading that from. When Jesus saw them, he's in grief, he's tired, the apostles are tired, they want to get some rest, and yet when he sees the people, he notices that they're like a sheep, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They have a deep need. And so Jesus isn't annoyed. He's able to see their inadequacy, their need, their brokenness, their desire for more. Jesus doesn't react annoyed because he knows that you and me and people in general are lost, that we're hurting, that we're hopeless, and that we're in search of connection. And I would posit to you I'm going to guess, but I would say many, if not most, of the interruptions that come to you are from people's deep need for community, for something, for hope, for salvation, for connection. The interruptions that we receive are from people's deep needs. One of my favorite marital counselors, I get a little bit of flack for this, but I like him a lot. This is the Gottmans up in Seattle. And he talks a lot about a concept in this book and in other places about something called a bid. And a bid is when you are trying to connect with people next to you. It can be in your marriage, can be with your partner, but it can just be with anybody. When you're just trying to reach out for a little bit of connection, here's some quotes. A bid is any attempt from one partner to another for attention, affirmation, affection, or any other positive connection. Bids show up in simple ways, a smile, a wink, or more complex ways like a request for advice or help. I have some examples so that we can see the variance in what a bid is, which is really just a reaching out for connection. So it might sound like, how do I look? Before we go get tacos, you know? How do I look? That's, a re- that's reaching out. Did you see it was going to rain today? Taco soup tonight? You know, just, to, just reaching out. <laughs> Did you like the new taco meat marinade recipe? <laughs> just a bid for... Can you grab the salsa when you get up for the tacos? You get it. You see where I'm going with this. What have you been up to lately? Find any good new taco places? Yes. 
I've been cleaning all day. I'm so tired. Can we order tacos to go? Do you want to go for a walk tomorrow to that new taco truck? You get it. It's a love language. It's a reaching out for connection. Seriously, though, you take out the taco stuff, and it's still there as a bid. Bids are just reaching out just a little bit, sometimes just to know that there's another human there and that they care and that they for, they're for you. Gobbin says that there's three responses that we can give to bids. We can turn towards people. We can turn away from people. And we can turn against people. We can react in anger when someone asks us something trivial like, did you see the weather today? Or how was the new recipe? Or whatever it is. Uh, These are the ways that we can respond. And he says, this is so primary to any relationship. In fact, last quote from him. How they they put people in these labs. They put people in these, um, in, in, in these like, places to study them. And and he says this, he says, how people reacted to their people's bid for connection was in fact the biggest predictor of happiness and relationship stability. These fleeting little moments, it turned out, spelled the difference between happiness and unhappiness, between lasting love and divorce. Bids are wildly important in his concept of how we do relationships. And people are constantly reaching out in bids, and sometimes they feel like interruption or disruption. Sometimes they feel like just someone spilling the contents of their brain out. But really, most of the time, it's not annoyance. It's a desire for connection. Jesus understood this and shows this to us. He doesn't respond with being annoyed because he sees deeper need, the deeper bid, the deeper desires. And I think when we begin to see their need, the less annoyed we will be. And we can even turn our annoyance into something deeper, which is my next point. Jesus says and teaches us something about what we should feel or experience. What in this passage is the feeling language, the experience language? Hits you right in the face. Jesus met interruptions with compassion. And that's the encouragement for us too, to get Christ-cultivated compassion so that we can meet our interruptions with compassion too. It says right here, when Jesus arrived tired and in grief and all of his people are tired, when when he arrives, he sees them and he says he saw them and he had compassion on them. I think the main way that we see past annoyance and we start seeing inadequacy is to cultivate compassion. To cultivate Christ-centered compassion within us. Compassion, if you don't know, comes from the Latin compassion. It means to suffer with. When we can learn to see people's needs and suffer with them, we call it empathy. When you can have empathy for people in their needs, in their inadequacies, in their brokennesses, in their sins, then you can move past annoyance and filter these situations through the lens of compassion. In fact, I think the way we do it, the more that we see our own need for our own shepherd, the way that the, 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 when we see our own need for our own brokenness, 
and our own need for connection, then the more deeply we can relate to the needs of other people. We can relate to the needs of other people. This is a pastor slash author slash primarily now podcast host named Sky Jatani. And he's famous for doing a podcast with Phil Vischer who created and voiced many of the VeggieTale characters. And so now he does a podcast mostly about Christian stuff and the Christian world and what's going on in Christianity. But Sky is the co-host to it. And he wrote an article in 2017 that I still think about because it was really impactful. It was about when he was a seminarian, he was doing some rounds in a hospital visiting people, and he got ready to walk into a room, and he pulled the chart, and it said there was a 54-year-old man who had been drunk the night before, fell down some stairs, ended up with broken arm, shoulder injury, and a broken jaw. They had to wire his jaw shut because he had fallen down the night before. And so he said, I read that just so I knew what I was walking into. I walked in, and I started talking to this man. And the man said, I can't really talk. My, my mouth is wired shut. And he said, I'm Sky. I'm a seminarian. I'm doing some chaplain seed training. And I'm coming to just check in on folks. And, and the man there's name was Bill. He said, I, I assume you're coming to talk about God. And Sky said, I don't have to, but I can if you want to. And Bill said, I used to talk about God. I was a pastor of a church, but my alcoholism took everything, my marriage, my kids, my ministry. And so I don't really feel like talking about it, talking about God today. And Sky said, well, why don't you tell me more of your story? And he says, Bill just kind of spilled the story out. And he said, part of it sounded like advice for Sky, but he said also it sounded like Bill was talking to a younger version of himself. And he just kind of went through his story and the heartbreak of all the stress that he was under and his turning to alcohol in the midst of that and how that created such a bomb in his life and his marriage and his kids and his ministry. And Sky said it was very awkward. He said all he wanted to do was just get out of that room. And so he let Bill finish his story. And then he got up and he headed for the door. And he said, as soon as my hand touched the doorknob, I realized that I was there to try to bring a little bit of Jesus to the room. So Sky said he turned around and he went back over to Bill and he said, um, I don't know what to say, and I don't have any wisdom, but I'd like to just sit with you for a while. And here's the quote from Sky to kind of finish the story off. Bill, I don't know how to help, I said, but I'd like to stay here if that's okay. Bill took his hand tightly in his and began to weep, and so did I. I don't know how long we cried, but our weeping was church without words. And the tears were a silent sacrament containing confession and absolution condemnation and compassion, burial and resurrection. I knew Bill wasn't clinging to me. He was clinging to God. Just as I wasn't merely crying over Bill's sins, I was mourning over my own. The moment was utterly human and yet mysteriously divine. It was ministry. I was struck by the line about how he wept for his own sins, even though he's listening to the story of somebody else and how that created a moment he used of his own words, compassion, that in the midst of all of that weeping together was condemnation and compassion. And I think this is what Jesus is modeling for us, 
that when we can see people's needs, when we can see that they are lost, that they are a sheep without a shepherd, that their, that their interruption wasn't about annoyance, it was about their inadequacy, their need, their brokenness, Jesus was able to apply compassion to the situation and be present with them. And I think that's Jesus' encouragement to us, to be people that have cultivated Christ-centered compassion so that we can see people where they are. We will transform the way we experience interruptions when we can touch our own sin, our own need, our own brokennesses, when we understand more deeply our own need for our own shepherd savior, we can grow in Christ-centered compassion and transform annoyances into divine disruptions possibilities for Jesus to show up in the midst of our life. How? How do we cultivate Christ-centered compassion? Because if I left you hanging there, it just sounds like I'm just saying, go home and try to be more compassionate. And that isn't what I see Jesus doing. That's too hard. If you could be more compassionate, you would in your own strength, but you can't. You can't even scratch your own backs. How are you going to develop more compassion? So here's what I see Jesus wanting us to do. Wrapping up, if you have some questions, send them. Jesus encourages us to develop regular rhythms of rest. You are not, probably, resting enough. Develop regular rhythms of rest. Right off the bat, Mark tells us there was no time, there was no good time, there was no eukairos for them to even eat. There were so many people coming and going and coming and going. And so Jesus says to them, let's go. Get by yourselves to a scheduled, to a secluded place, and let's rest for a while. Let's rest. If you read Jesus' life, he's doing this all the time. This is not a one-time thing. Let me give you 15 verses to prove what I'm saying. Mark 1, right off the bat. I mean, he just started his ministry. It's like chapter 1. Chapter 1. Actually, let's go this one first. Chapter 1. How he starts his ministry is that he goes out into the desert for 40 days and just is present with the Lord, relying on the Father, and tempted by Satan. Same chapter. Has only done like two or three things so far. And it says, early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and he went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. By the way, in Mark, it's all about these deserted places. The wilderness is the, is the word. Jesus is constantly going out into the wilderness to be alone in prayer. That's chapter one. Two times he's already rested. Luke 5, great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities, but Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Mark chapter 4, gale force winds arose as they're on a boat and they crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped and Jesus is back in the back of the boat sleeping on a pillow. Is he a cat? My guy, what's going on over here? He's just curled up on a pillow in the back of the boat as a storm rages. Of course, the apostles wake him up and Jesus calms the storm. It's a very important story, but Jesus is napping. Jesus is napping. If brother Jesus, God of the universe, can nap, you can too. 
Don't let anyone make you feel guilty about it. Though I do make my wife feel guilty about it sometimes. I'm sorry, honey. I repent before the congregation. I know she's in here. She's going to hold me accountable. Jesus regularly sought out and prioritized rest and solitude and prayer into the wilderness by himself early in the morning, napping on the way to things late at night. Jesus was praying. This story is only interrupted because he's trying to get a little retreat out for the boys. He only has a two to three year mission, depending on the gospel you're reading, that ends in his death and he's still resting. If I had a three-year mission that I knew I was going to die at the end of, my, my impulse would be, go, 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 go. We're sleeping four hours a night. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Let's go. We got stuff to do. And Jesus, chapter one, is still resting. You need to rest. You need to develop regular rhythms of rest. Put it on your calendar. Make sure it's happening. Was Jesus interrupted in his rest? Yes, he was. But I think resting allows us to resist perceiving interruptions as annoyances and allows us to apply the compassion that we've been gleaning from the Lord during our restful times. It's only when I am so busy that I'm impatient. It's only when I have a lot to do and I've been doing a lot that when my kids come up to me, I am short and impatient with them. Rest allows us not only to connect to the Father in a way that allows us to cultivate that compassion, but it gives us the energy and life we need to be Christ ambassadors in the midst of interruptions. I joined a, a gym again. Don't get your hopes up. This is not the first time. Somebody said, how many times are you going to go? And this person knows a bit about uh, working out. They said, how many times are you going to go? And I was like, bro, I need to go like eight days a week. And, and he said, you need rest and recovery. That is part of the process. You have to. It's just part, it's built in. And then talking to my wife about some of this stuff, she said, she was talking about labor and delivery. And she was like, literally, you can't push the entire time. You'll literally die of exhaustion. There is even rest in the midst of birth. You have to develop regular rhythms of rest. You have to. God commands it multiple times throughout Scripture. You have to rest. You cannot become a human doing. God refuses to let you do that in his name. You have to come to him so that you can receive the rest that he has for you. In fact, this season, I think, beckons us to rest. The days are short, and the land is resting, but our society, because they need their fourth quarter profits to be big, says, go, 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 and there is something every night, and then you have this nostalgia that you're chasing, which isn't real. You're not going to, it's not there. It's not going to come back. But you're like, if I just do enough this season, then maybe I'll feel the thing that I want to feel. And maybe it's just an invitation to rest that you don't have to pack the calendar full to try to feel something other than just being connected to the Father 
and resting when the earth and when the season and when the land rests, just being closer to Jesus, taking some time, taking some time. That go, 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 it's a recipe for perceiving every interruption as annoyance and meeting it with impatience and anger. Jesus encourages us to build in, prioritize, and develop regular rhythms of rest. Questions, comments, criticisms of what anything I said, concerns? What are some examples of rest? Sleep? Naps? Somebody talked to my spouse, didn't they? Watching TV, leisure time. Yeah, I always like to uh, distinguish between escape and rest because for lots of reasons, sometimes we think binge watching something on Netflix is restful, but really sometimes it's not. Sometimes you, you come back out, you don't have any more energy, you haven't been recreated. The things you have done are not very life-giving, and so sometimes all your problems are still there and you don't have the full energy of, you need to fight them. And so rest, in my definition, is always recreative. We say recreation, but it's just two words, recreative. You have to find something that is life-giving, that helps you have more energy, helps you connect more deeply to the Father so that then when you do re-enter out of your rest, you have uh, the life and energy you need to keep pursuing a life with Jesus and your daily normal routines. And so make sure you're distinguishing between rest and, and escape. Also, a lot of times, escape is about making somebody else money. Netflix loves it when you escape because they just keep making more money. TikTok, Instagram, they love it when you use that for escape because they just keep making more money. And you've shut off your brain, so you feel like you're getting a little bit of rest time, but it's not all that restful. So find something recreative, recreative. Jesus went to the wilderness. Being outside is probably never a bad idea. Thank you for that question. Here's my conclusion, and then we're wrapping up. Jesus shows us the interruptions come from somewhere deeper than annoyance. They come from inadequacy, from needs, from desires for connection, because we are all like sheep without a shepherd before we meet Christ. Jesus encourages us to cultivate compassion by tapping into and touching our own need for our shepherd savior, but also cultivating compassion by connecting with Jesus through regular rhythms of resting and abiding in Christ. This is what Jesus wants to teach us in the story between the stories. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus' example to rest. Help us to rest in a way that deepens our trust, faith, life into you. And we pray that as we do, grow closer to you. We plug into the source of life that that would really spill over as compassion into the world. That it would spill out as empathy towards those around us who are not trying to be annoying. They're just reaching out for some hope, some connection. As we are connected to you, would you help us to be conduits of connection for you in the world? this busy season as a million things are happen, happening. Help us to be present. Help us to be good ambassadors for you, but ultimately help us to experience you in deep, abiding, satisfying ways. And we pray that this time of communion that we are coming to now would be the beginning of that for this season. 
that as we come to your table to receive you in the bread and in the cup, would it be spiritual nourishment? Would it be spiritual connection? Would it be the place that we abide, a physical manifestation of our, our desire to abide with you? We are so grateful that you've invited us to this space and place to be near you and with you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me finish that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.